0: Thank you. We'll
1: Take a moment, church. Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Doesn't the place look nice? Very Christmassy. Worked very hard. I, I did this all myself. Yes. Yeah, sorry. But glad that you are here today. Welcome, Welcome and uh, Merry Christmas to you. We're officially in this season. So glad that you're here. Hey, if you're a guest with us again, welcome to you. Uh, if you are a guest, we'd love to just know that you are here. Connect with you. Best way you can do that is to grab your cell phone and text the word "connect" to the number on the screen nine one zero. Just text connect there. We'll send a link to you. Click on that. Answer a couple of questions. We're not going to spam you or anything. Show up at your door this week. We just want to know you are here and how we connect with you and minister to you in the best way possible. We'd love for you to do that so we can just encourage you in the Lord. Uh, But it is in Christmas season so I have just a couple of quick announcements I want to throw your way in reference to Christmas. Right number one is this. Uh, Today is the final day to order a poinsettia we're going to be setting uh poinsettias up uh decorating the sanctuary with that today's going to be the last day to order that you can find that order form in a bulletin on your way out also today is going to be your last day to buy tickets for the ladies christmas brunch that's this coming saturday you'll buy those tickets on your way out here out of this door they're 15 a piece and that will be this coming saturday encourage you to be a part of that ladies be sure to swing by and grab you a ticket for that Speaking of that event, though, gentlemen, we need some help. All right? Guys, we need help Friday, this coming Friday, the 11th, around 10 a.m., if you're free. We need to set some tables up in the FLC to get ready for the ladies. They come in and decorate, but we try to get the table set up for them first. So if you're free around 10 o'clock this Friday, come by. We'll be over in the FLC right uh, out here, that direction. Uh, And uh, set up tables and chairs for the ladies that can come in and decorate. And then we'll also need some guys to come back in Saturday around twelve when the brunch is over to tear everything down and put it up for them, so our ladies don't have to lug those tables and chairs around. All right. So, guys, if you're free, ten o'clock Friday, twelve o'clock Saturday, come by, hang out, help. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Also, two more quick things when it comes to Christmas. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock. We're going to keep the service. I promise you, you are out by 6, so you can do all your other family things. I know people have plans uh, with their family on Christmas Eve. I'd encourage you to let the Christmas Eve service here be a part of that. Come with your family, 5 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Come and be a part of that. We're going to focus in this Christmas Eve on the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. If there ever a year where we need to know that peace comes from Jesus so this Christmas Eve, we're going to spend a little time together, just encouraging one another in the Lord, and the peace that comes only from Jesus. So that's Christmas Eve, five o'clock. Come and be a part of that. And then also the last Sunday of the year, December twenty seventh, we're only going to have one service, and that is at eleven o'clock. So on December twenty seventh, if you show up at nine thirty, you're going to get a really really good seat for the eleven o'clock. All right, December twenty seventh, one service. No journey groups, no child care, just one service, December 27th. We know it's a big travel time. We know a lot of people are going to be gone. So the folks that are in town, come and be a part, December 27th, 11 o'clock. I really encourage you if you're in town to be here because we're actually going to be starting a new series on the 27th called His Joy Made Full. And we're going to walk through John fifteen. And see how you can have the actual joy of Jesus Christ bear out in you in 2021. Who would love that? So that's December 27th, 11 o'clock, one service. Come be a part of that. We'd love to have you here. So one of the other things that we do during this Christmas season is we take up an offering for missions. The Lighty Moon Christmas Offering. Uh, Lottie Moon, we, uh, my wife and I are uh, big fans of Lottie Moon. We named our youngest daughter after her, Lottie. Lottie Moon was an amazing woman. She was tiny, about four foot eight, but she had big faith. Lottie Moon, in the 1800s, as a single miniature woman, sailed to China by herself and spent the next 40 years of her life in inland China leading thousands of Chinese to Jesus. And she set the stage for us as Southern Baptists in our mission's efforts. And She really propelled forward what it means for us to be about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So every Christmas we take up money for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We encourage you to give to that. You can write a check and just mark Lottie Moon on that. You can give online and designate Lottie Moon however you'd like to do that. There's an envelope in the back of the pew in front of you. You can just put your check in that however you would like to give, but we encourage you to generously give. Lottie Moon did an amazing work, but the work is not finished. There are still billions, billions of people on earth who have never heard the gospel, and this offering is going to help see that change. So I encourage you to give, and I want to read a scripture to you kind of in line with that. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. starting in verse 18 it says and Jesus came and said to them his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age the the call to go to the nations and make disciples is predicated on two truths we see in here number one the authority of jesus jesus said in verse 18 all authority is mine and as a result of me having jesus all authority i'm telling you to go and it's built off the presence of jesus he says in the last verse and i'm never ever 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 going to leave you the command to go and make disciples is sandwiched in between these two amazing truths jesus has Full, complete, total authority of everything. So when you go, you go in His authority. And when you go, He goes with you. So have assurance and confidence and faith and power and hope to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this offering is a way that you can do that. Give, because Jesus has stamped His authority on this. And He has promised to go with every dime that we give to see the gospel advance. I encourage you to give. And then also, this is really great for our own lives. There's nothing that's going to touch your life. No problem, no difficulty, no pain, no hardship. That you can't be encouraged. That Jesus has total authority over everything and He's never leaving you. He's never leaving you. That issue, that problem, that addiction, that circumstance, that situation does not hold authority in your life. Jesus does. no matter how alone you feel, he has sworn by his own authority that he will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. So Jesus, we praise you for this. We praise you, Jesus, that you possess all authority. We praise you, Jesus, that we get to rest in your authority. We thank you, Jesus, that we get to walk forward knowing that you go with us. And I pray for every person here in this room that there's nothing touching their life, that they're not going to be able to be encouraged today by your authority and your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Work this truth in us deeply today for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, everybody. Let's, Let's worship Jesus together.
0: is able. God is worthy to be praised. Amen, church. We're going to sing together of his glory, his grace, and his mercy. Give glory to God today.
2: Oh
3: In Thailand there are so many people who don't know God and no one they know knows God.
1: Thai people have a desperate desire to get rid of the sin that they know they have. They're, They're going to the temples and they're taking money and gold and flowers and anything they can do that they think is good that might erase the sin that they know that is inside
3: him. I'm calling to be a doctor and calling to be a missionary came on the same day when a missionary came and spoke at our church. He said the line, the saddest thing I've seen after 35 years on the mission field is children sick and dying because there's no doctor to care for them. And it was a like light, a lightning bolt through my soul. And I said, okay, God, I'll be a medical missionary. Our minister here takes mobile clinics all over the country of Thailand. Church planners call me up and say, I'm trying to start a new church where there's never been one. Will you come and help me? Medicine is just a means for me to share the gospel with those who have no other access. When I talk about how to take care of their physical needs, it's just so easy for them to see when I start talking about their soul that they need a savior as well. And American churches have partnered with me in that. And they have sent me short-term mission teams that come with me for about a week every month. And we go out and do mobile clinics all over the country. Without the churches coming alongside me, I cannot do what I do. In general, people here do not like talking about spiritual things. But on mobile clinic, we can talk to 100 people in a day, 200 people, 300 people in a day that will come to mobile clinic and there we can share Christ with so many people at one time. It makes Mobile Clinic a great avenue for sharing the Gospel. The point of Mobile Clinics is to start churches. Groups of Thai believers that will go on to grow people in their new faith, to (laughs) disciple them in their understanding of who Christ is, and to grow them together into groups that will become churches. There's a lot of things that money can't buy. Being able to be here and see God praised where he has never been praised before. That is a dear joy. Seeing souls saved in areas where no one has ever known God before. Watching them grow in their faith and lead others to faith and watching them grow together into churches, seeing churches start where no one has ever worshiped God before. Money can't buy that.
1: All throughout the month of December, as we focus in on the Lottie Moon Offering, one of the things we're also going to be doing is praying. We're going to be praying every Sunday together for two specific things. I want you to know this. Every Sunday, here's what we're going to do, okay? I'm praying for this personally in my own uh, time with the Lord every day. And I'm going lead us to pray for this uh, here every Sunday as well. One, we're going to pray for... The people around the world, the unreached who are in need of Christ. So we're going to pray specifically today for the people of Thailand. Second thing I'm praying for and I want to lead us to pray for every Sunday is for us, to be quite honest. We're going to pray for them and then also we're going to pray for us in two ways. One, that God would stir our hearts to generously, graciously give for this offering so that missionaries would go out. Second, I'm praying that God will send you. All cards on the table, either in a short-term capacity where you give a week, two weeks uh, to go around the world and help missionaries who are already there, or I firmly believe with everything inside of me, there are people in our church right now, God has called you to give your life to the mission field. Let's hit it. Let's go. Let's send you. Let's shoot you off like an arrow. So, uh, so we're going to pray, all right, and we're going to pray again, one, for the uh, people of Thailand, Two that God would stir our hearts to be gracious in giving, and three that God would create in us a passion to, in some way, shape, or form, either short term or long term, see ourselves do something about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. All right, so let's let's bow our heads just for a moment. I want us to pray, Lord. I I lift up first the people of Thailand. God, just seeing those faces, just dear, sweet people created in your image, God, people for whom Jesus, you died so that they can have life and they have no one to tell them. They don't know Christians. They don't have churches on every corner. They, they don't know. So, Lord, I pray for them, God, that you would God, you, by your power, you would reach them. You would send people. You would send missionaries. You would do what you need to do. The gospel would be advanced. I pray, God, for the people of Thailand that as they hear the gospel, their hearts would be opened and that they would be saved. I pray, God, for a powerful move of your spirit to take place. I pray for the Thai believers that are there, God, that you would embolden them and encourage them to be bold proclaimers of the gospel right there in their homes. God, I pray for us also, though. God, I pray that you would... Stir in us, God, just generosity. I thank you, Lord, as we've already seen. We, we are called to go and make disciples based on your sovereign authority and the fact that you promise you'll go with us everywhere we go. So I pray, God, that we would give generously, knowing we give every dime is stamped with your authority, that you're going to do something with it. I thank you, Jesus, for that. I pray, God, that we would give graciously, sacrificially, generously, during this Christmas season. And God, I pray that you'll stir up in us, God, a hunger, a longing, a craving, a desire to go, whether it be short-term or long. God, I pray you'll send us. And God, I want to I pray specifically for those who have had military experience, and now they're trying to figure out what the next stage of life looks like. I pray, God, specifically for them. God, I pray that you'll raise them up. God, I thank you that you have already birthed in them the understanding and the training and the equipping to serve and be a part of a bigger mission. I pray, God, now that they pivot to be a part of your bigger mission, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I ask that you'll do this and that you would raise up many for your glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find 2 Peter together, all right? 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. So, Peter is writing. And what we're going to see is he's writing specifically here to a group of Christians who have false teachers in their life and in their church who are trying to convince them to pursue the pleasures of this world rather than true pleasure in Christ. Does that make sense? They're trying to get them to, to pursue the things of this life rather than the ultimate joys and pleasures that are just in Jesus. And uh, uh, if you've been with us in First and Second Peter, Peter is writing specifically to a group of Christians who are in a time of real difficulty and pain in life, right? Things are going bad for them in life. And what we'll see is this temptation to settle for the lesser things of earth Rather than pushing forward by faith for the greater things of Christ, that temptation is much stronger on us when we're going through times of difficulty. True or false, if someone struggles with alcoholism, the temptation to give in to that is stronger when things are going bad in life, right? The temptation to leave your spouse is stronger when things are going bad in your marriage. I mean, let's just get super simple. You're ten times more likely to yell at your kids if you had a bad day at work. Difficulty, strife, hardship, testing pushes us and is a prime opportunity for us to give in the temptation to pursue lesser things of this earth rather than the greater things of Christ. And what I want you to see today is this. Listen to me. There is... An organized, purposeful, demonic scheme to tempt you and lead you to pursue the lesser things of this world rather than the greater glories in Christ. There is a war taking place. And you are being shot at. And what I want us to see today, the whole point of today is this. Showing us the whole point of 2 Peter chapter 2 is to highlight the dangers of giving in to this false teaching of pursuing the things of this world rather than the things of Christ. Specifically, the false teaching that uh, Peter is addressing here with these Christians is the idea that Jesus is not going to come back, therefore, there's no judgment. Eat, drink, and be merry, do what you want. Right? There was an attack. On this biblical doctrine that Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead. They're saying, No, 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 that's not gonna happen. Therefore, just do what you want. What I want you to see is what you believe directly affects how you live. And if we believe wrong things, we will live wrong lives. And that's exactly what's being pushed after here in Second Peter chapter two. All right. So we're gonna jump in together, and I want us to see some things. And the whole point of today again is this: to highlight for you the dangers. Of giving into this false teaching of pursuing the low things of this world and getting quick pleasures in this world rather than pursuing the greater, more beautiful, eternal joys that come from Jesus. Okay? So let's jump in. Second Peter chapter two. We'll start in verse one. Big idea number one is this: false teachers will come. All right, people trying to convince you to pursue lesser earthly things that is happening. All right, these false teachers are in the church. These false teachers are outside of the church. We are inundated, right, with people and places and organizations who are trying to get us to give in to lesser things of this world. False teachers are going to come after you. All right, so let's start in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, talking about the people of the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. All right, let's stop just for a moment here, okay? So this talks about false teachers Bringing in destructive heresies. That is a major, major accusation. False teachers bringing in deadly, destructive, harmful heresies. All right, so what is a false teacher? Let's chat about that just for a moment. First, let's start with what is not a false teacher, all right? And this is extremely important for us to get squared away first. Someone is not a false teacher just because they disagree with you. Right, you giggle. I've had that conversation. Two, someone is not a false teacher just because they're a part of a different denomination. All right, we may disagree on things, but people from different denominations can have they love Jesus and follow the Bible. All right. Three, someone is not a false teacher just because there are things that they don't understand and are continuing to grow in. John Calvin, probably one of the greatest theologians Christianity has ever known. Said, no theologian is ever more than 80% correct. What that means? We all wrong about something. Right? The Bible is infallible. We are not. So we must walk in humility, graciousness, and love towards one another. Because it could be that they're not a, a false teacher proclaiming heresy. It could just be they're mistaken on something, or you're mistaken on something, and you just need to grow together. But, the Bible is abundantly clear, there are false teachers who proclaim destructive heresies. So, who are these people and what do they do? We start to kind of get a little bit of an idea about that. Look at verse 1 again. What does it say? False prophets, they arose. There will always be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So, big idea number one. A false teacher is someone who denies major claims of the of Christianity, all right? They're denying the master. False teachers are people who are going to deny the, the sufficiency and authority of the Bible. They're going to deny the, the deity of Jesus Christ. They're going to deny the sinless life and substitutionary death of Jesus. They're going to deny that salvation comes only by grace through faith in Jesus alone, right? False teachers are going to deny Jesus, the work of Jesus in us, through us, among us, how he saves us and redeems us and sanctifies us. So number one, false teachers are people who deny and openly teach wrong, abhorrent teachings that are obviously contrary to major foundational truths of the faith. But second is this, you see this in verse 2, false teachers seek to lead you again to pursue the things of this world rather than the things of christ false teachers are going to try to get you to get the quick fix and the quick joy and the quick happiness rather than pursuing by faith jesus in eternal joy so look at verse two and many will follow their sensuality the word sensuality means unbridled lust it means just kick the door open and do whatever you good and will please all right many are going to follow their sensuality And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Verse 3. And in their greed, right, they're greedy. They just want more and more and more and more and more. They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation for long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. The idea is false teachers are people who are going to deny major tenets of the Christian faith. And they're going to be people who try to get you to settle for lesser things of this world rather than the greater joys that are in Jesus. My hope for today is I want you to see that this is not just some... This is much more practical than you realize. This is much more practical. Again, what it said there in verse 2 is that they they are in verse 1 and that they come in secretly and deceptively. These ideas have very easily secretly crept their way into the church false teachings let me give you a few ideas of common false teachings that you may not realize are false teachings bringing in destructive heresies looking to destroy your soul you ever heard these things well god just wants me to be happy you ever thought that I know it's hard, but at the end of the day, I just think God wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy. So God is happy with me being happy. What about this? God would never tell me to do anything that damages my self-esteem. The destructive, false teaching of a self-esteem gospel has led many straight to hell. What about this? God desires to make me healthy and wealthy. This is the... Also, popular prosperity gospel, the idea that by faith in Jesus, nothing bad touches your life. Don't you just hear the greed associated with that? Don't you just hear the grab everything you can from this earth? What about this? God knows we're in love, so it's okay if we sleep together. Well, God knows we're in love. We're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. I've seen his eyes. They're full of fire because he's a a dad mad that you keep touching his daughter. What about this one? God's always going to forgive me, so it's okay if I sin. I know God's going to forgive. I know I shouldn't, but God's going to forgive me. I know I shouldn't, but God's going to forgive me. What about this? Uh, God made me this way, so I can't change god made me this way so this is just how i have to live have you heard these things being said by christians have you yourself allowed them to sneak into your own heart what i want you to understand is this this truth that there are false dangerous teachings that are going to secretly creep in to our hearts and cause us to just settle for silly, stupid things on this earth that ultimately will destroy your soul rather than pursuing the greater joys of heaven that will finally give you peace and rest in your soul. That is happening. It is here. It is active. It is powerful. It is vibrant. And if we don't stand up and say, reject this, it will destroy many, including some of us in this room, I fear. It is important, just like Peter said, these things are going to come. These people are going to come. Stand up against them. Likewise for us, we must be ready to say we are not giving in to that. No, we pursue greater joy in Jesus. Greater joy in Jesus. You have two choices kind of set before you. Choice number one, settle for the things of this earth. And pursue that. The way of this world. Or you can pursue after the way of Christ. Both paths are set before you. Both paths are right there and ready. The question is which one are you going to take? Look, like I know this world is hard, and I know it's like walking through the wilderness of this world, you just get thirsty. You ever just been working outside or when, when it's, it's July or August, and you're so thirsty? Think about my kids. My kids are outside playing for hours, and, and they come in, and they're just so thirsty. they got two options. They can walk to the kitchen sink flip open the the, the faucet, get some water, and be revived. Or they can reach under the kitchen sink, grab some bleach, and take a swig of that. It looks like water, but one will revive you and one will kill you. And what I want you to see today, brothers and sisters, is this. I know this world can make you thirsty. I know the pain and the difficulty and the strife and the hardship can be wearying for your soul. The issue is where do you go to get revived? Where do you go to get water for your thirsty soul? Do you settle for earth and the things of this earth or do you pursue the greater joys of Jesus Christ who will give you living water that will always revive and sustain you? If you're still not sure, you keep on going in verse four and it starts to it, it lays out uh, some case studies, all right so it gives you three case studies of situations where people took the worldly routes and then a situation where someone took the the heavenly route. all right so kind of case study kind of walks you through each. So first in verse four, this talks about the rebellious angels. so what you see in Verses 4 through 9 is sort of an if-then Hebrew way of teaching. right? If this smaller thing is true, then how much more is this greater thing is true? If this thing is true, then how much more is this true? That's what you're going to see happening here. So verse 4 first talks about the angels. But if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness but kept them into judgment. In, in other words, these angels, think about angels, created by God. Created by God to serve God. They were witness to all of this. When did the angels come in about? I don't know. I know in Genesis 1, it's nothing but God. So sometime after that, when it happened, I have no idea. Sometime before Genesis 3, because Lucifer came down to Adam and Eve. So somewhere in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, God made the angels. And they were witness to all of this. They were firsthand witnesses of the true, unveiled glory of God. And what happened? Lucifer and a third of them still rebelled. It does not matter how high you are up. You can still get lured away by the lesser things of the world. Then it gives you another one, the ancient world in verse 5, I'm talking about Noah. He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, it's just his family, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So you have Noah. Right? So the ancient world, Genesis 6 says, is, is just thinking and doing sin continuously. And so God brings Noah, this herald of righteousness, for 120 years, preaches repentance. Repent, 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 repent. The flood is coming. No one knows what a flood even is. It hasn't even rained on earth by that point. Like, it's going to flood. People are like, what's a flood? Noah said, well, I mean... You know, you know, the water on the ground, God's going to put it up in the air and then drop it back down, but in a much less organized fashion. No one knew what he was even talking about. Did God still judge the ancient world? Yes. Claiming ignorance is not an excuse. I didn't understand what God meant when he said he was going to judge. He still judged. It gives you another example, Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah were mega power cities of the day. The prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, speak of their wealth, their prominence, their excess. But even though they had everything, you can't buy your way out of God's judgment. They gave themselves to the sinful desires of their flesh. And as a result, God destroyed them. It doesn't matter how, hard, how high up you are, God brings judgment. It doesn't matter how ignorant to what all of this means you really are, God brings judgment. It doesn't matter how influential you may be, God brings judgment. If God would not spare them, then verse 9, jump ahead to that, the second part of verse 9. How much more is he able to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment? The idea is this. Here's what I want you to see. This path that is set before you to pursue the lesser things of this world, there's something bad on the other end of it. Sin promises what it cannot give you. And sin delivers what you never, ever fathomed it would. There, this, this path that is set before you by this world of just follow this and you'll finally be happy. Follow this and you'll finally be content. Follow this and you'll finally have joy. If you follow that path, it will end to destruction. If he did not spare the angels, if he did not spare the ancient world, if he did not spell Sodom, uh, spare Sodom and Gomorrah, he will not spare you. That's the point. But he doesn't just warn you about the bad things. He encourages you with the good things. You pick that up in verse 7. And if he rescued righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. All right, so Lot is connected with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you've read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's, it's interesting second Peter here calls Lot righteous. Did Lot act very righteous all the time? Yeah, that's a hard no. Right? My 9-year-old just shook his head no. He was like, "Nope." Lot? Oh, you mean the guy that allowed his family to stay in a wicked perverse city for years? The guy that threw his daughters into the lion's den to save a couple of strangers? That guy. Righteous Lot. Lot doesn't always act righteous. And here's the encouraging point. That's the point. When we say that God rescues the righteous, it doesn't say that God rescues the perfect. God rescues the righteous. And Lot is an example of this. Lot messed up a lot. Lot did not pursue righteousness all the time. Lot did not make all the godly decisions. But in his heart, Lot desired to pursue God. He failed. He stumbled. He struggled. He lost his wife in the process. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Because his wife looked back and wanted the former life. I mean, wasn't it easier when we just gave ourselves into all of that? Christianity is so much harder. i got to say no to things I want to say yes to. That's hard. I don't want to do that. His daughters, how wicked are his daughters? His daughters get him drunk and sleep with him so they can have kids. Jerry Springer on line one. (laughs) The point isn't that Lot and his family are perfect. They are a billion miles away from that. But I love the book of Proverbs tells us the righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. It does not say the righteous man does not fall. It says the righteous man is going to fall seven times. Seven is the the number of completion in the scripture. So in other words, the righteous man falls often. But he doesn't stay down. He repents of his sin and he gets back up in faith. The righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. What is set before you in these case studies is this. Look, you can go one path, like the angels in the ancient world and Sodom and Gomorrah, thinking that simple, foolish, frivolous things of this world, that's going to be enough to satisfy my soul. You can go after that, but it will never be enough, 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 and at the end will ultimately be destruction. Or you can imperfectly But by faith, sometimes stumble your way down the path of righteousness to Jesus, and he will rescue you, and he will strengthen you, and he will lift you up. That is the point. This world is barking at you, pursue this, pursue this, pursue this, pursue this, and it will end in utter destruction. I want you to open your eyes and see. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, uh, a fool has his hair on fire but says, I smell no smoke. We could say for us, a fool continuously follows the path of this world but somehow thinks it's going to end up turning all right. It won't. It won't. As you keep on going, you pick it up in verse 10. And what I want you to see super quick is, again, he's, he's setting this case. He's trying to show you how, 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 how we must run from this, right? These false teachers are going to lead you to pursue the things of this earth. And, and that's ultimately going to end in destruction. But if you follow the way of righteousness, it's going to lead to life. And then he does in the next few verses, he lays out some characteristics, some red flags to look for. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to walk through this, and I want you to see red flags two places. Number one First and foremost, search for them in your own heart. Do any of these red flags, boom, rise up in you? If it is, that is a giant check engine light for your soul saying there is a problem. You're following a false teaching. Repent of that and get back on the right path. And secondly, let's think broadly in the Church of America. Do you see these things being promulgated? Verse 10. First thing. Spiritually careless. Here's what I mean by that. Pick it up in verse 10. Especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Here's what this is talking about. These people, this idea of bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. It's talking about demonic forces. These are people who foolishly, ignorantly, lunge themselves into spiritually demonic things. Things that the holy angels of God would never even talk about. And we foolishly give ourselves to them. The point is this. Do you see in a church, do you see in yourself, an openness to dark things? The acceptance of things such as witchcraft, the demonic, tarot cards and horoscopes and Ouija boards, things that aren't toys to be tampered with. Are we careful with what we watch, what we see, what we do? Do we understand that there are, and there's a reason why in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells you, don't let Satan get a foothold in your life. He would only say that if it's possible for Satan himself to grab a stronghold in you. Shut the door. Quit letting him in. It's not a joke, it's not a game, and it will destroy you from the inside out. And there is this push in American pop culture Christianity to be okay with this. We're open to spirituality. We're open to other perspectives. I mean, who's to say you can't be Hindu and Christian? I mean, who's to say, right? You know what I really... really understanding Eastern mysticism has helped me connect with God. I don't have time and I don't feel like getting the emails, but yoga? Let's have a cup of coffee. You realize the entire thing was built around false demons. False gods who are demons. We so ignorant Give ourselves to things. We don't realize the stronghold that comes in as a result. Next, verse 12 talks about the fact that they're prideful. Prideful and arrogant. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters about which they are ignorant. You hear the pride? Will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. The idea is they're in sin and just open about it. They don't even care anymore. Have we seen this within the church? Just completely okay with sin and immorality. Completely okay with it. We want to be gracious. Grace does not mean acceptance. Grace does not mean we're okay with that. Grace means by the power of Jesus Christ, you can walk in freedom from it. It gets even more specific, verse 14. Sexual sin. They have eyes Full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls. Let's stop there. Eyes full of adultery. Well, I'm not even married. I don't commit adultery. Adultery is having sex with anyone you're not married to. But we're married in God's eyes. Nope. You're acting like you're married in your pants. But you are not married in God's eyes not the way that works. It is becoming increasingly difficult to find a teenager or 20-something who professes to be a Christian who holds to genuine biblical ethic of sexuality. It is becoming increasingly, increasingly difficult. We are giving ourselves. Do you see these false teachers telling you, this is going to make you happy, 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 and so we give ourselves to it. And does it make you happy? No. Teenage college dating and sexual promiscuity is not getting you ready for marriage. It's getting you ready for divorce. It teaches you to give your heart to someone and then walk away. Living with someone is not practicing for marriage. It is practicing for divorce. And you see how we're just so much more open to that stuff now? It's false teaching. Pick it up also in verse 14. we got greed. Look at the last part of verse 14. They have hearts trained in greed. What a powerful word trained in greed. It's like you you have a dog? Like I have a dog. We have a golden doodle named Happy. Don't say oh, he's he's a handful. <laughs> happy doesn't always make me happy. <laughs> but we have Happy trained. I can stand by his bowl, go <whistles> You know what that dog does? From 3 miles away. <whistles> Right? He hears the sound, he's trained. And it says here that these false teachers are trained in greed. It just is instinct. Trained in greed. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is a great story. I don't have time to get into it. It's in the book of Numbers. Balaam, for the right price, decided to uh, walk away from God and curse God's people. And what did God have to do? Talk to him through a donkey. Talk to him through a donkey. If you you, uh, read the King James, it uses a different word that I'm not going to repeat but I think fits a little better. The idea is they're prone to greed. They're given to greed. They're trained to greed. They pursue greed. And this idea is infiltrating the church. Think about how we think about the things of God. We are consumed with what God's going to give us. What do I get in salvation? You give your life to Jesus so he can give you a great life. And yes and amen, his life is great that he gives us, but not because of what he gives us, but because of of what we now get to have in him. We just get him. I mean, think of it even on a practical level. You ready for this? In most churches in America, only about 20% of the membership fund the budget. We are super blessed here, amazingly. We're above that. But on average, about 20% fund the whole budget. What does the other 80% do? Show up to get. It is a heart trained on greed. I go to church solely for the purpose of getting. Does that ping a red flag for you? Last is this. Verse 17 they're in bondage to sin. They are trapped in it. Verse 17, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. In other words, they don't produce anything good, nothing sustaining. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud, boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. We are constantly being told that we must accept sin. This is how we were made. It's the same way of saying this. Instead of having freedom from sin, we're in bondage to sin. And we made that okay because that's just who you are. God made you that way. Yes, I know I shouldn't have been angry, but but, but that's just kind of who I am. I know I shouldn't worry, but that's just kind of who I am. We create a system where we accept sin and allow ourselves to remain prisoners to it rather than walk in freedom. False teachers try to get you to accept sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims repentance of sin and freedom from it. That's what we offer you here in Christ. Repentance of sin and freedom from it. This is what comes through Jesus. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. The point is this, you keep going back and going back and going back and going back. This idea is people who come to church, hear the gospel, but never really accept it fully, so they kind of get a little bit, but then go after their own way. It becomes this confused, mangled mutt of a mess. And he's saying, look, it would have been better if you never heard of Jesus in the first place. You can't have both. And you're trying to. I want to ask our, our band to come up. I want to read one last scripture to you, verse 22. This is a quote from Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. It says, What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The idea is a dog that vomits, and then goes back to it. Again, if you, if you have a dog, you've probably watched that wonderful feat. And it describes a pig who is dirty and muddy, and you wash the pig off, and then what does the pig do? Go right back into the mud. For some of you single ladies, I just described your dating life. The point is, No matter how many times you promise that you're never going to do that thing again, how how often do we just go back and do it? I mean, let's just be honest. And the answer is going to be this. You don't need a shower to shower off the pig. You don't need a shower. You need a savior. You don't need just a new set of rules to follow. You need to be set free in Christ. Thomas Chalmers, who wrote the book The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, says it brilliantly. The only way to expel the lesser pleasures is to replace it with a greater pleasure. You have these two paths set before you a path that follows the ways of the world, and they are loud, and they are chirping, and they are calling for you. And then you have a path in Christ. That way is narrow, that gate is smaller. But that is the only way that's going to lead to eternal life. One of my favorite verses, I, 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 I work it into sermons here all the time. It's Matthew 13, 44. It's a parable of Jesus, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The idea is there's a man who finds a, a treasure in a field. But he doesn't own that field, so he he buries the treasure. He goes and sells everything that he has. And in his joy, he goes and buys that field, knowing that the treasure is waiting inside. The point is, Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. And my encouragement for you today is sell all this other garbage all the trinkets and toys and, and minuscule pleasures of this world that you've been trying to fill your heart with, sell them all right now. Say, Jesus Christ, I reject all of them, and I just want the joy that comes from you. Give me you. I implore you today. Call out to Jesus like that. Maybe even for the first time right here today. Say, Jesus Christ, I reject this world and I just want you. He died on the cross. He rose again to give you new life. Call on him and ask him to make you new. We're going to stand and we're going to sing joy to the world. Think about the words. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Joy is available on earth, but it only comes through Jesus. Reject the false garbage of this world and all the teachers on social media and iTunes and podcasts and TV. They're trying to get you to settle for the lesser things of this world. Reject all of that. receive true, real joy in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus, do this in your people today. I pray you'll empower us to reject these lesser things and find joy just in you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, stand with me, church. We're going to do something a little bit different today, just you and I. Is that okay? I believe that I believe that the voices of the saints will be the loudest thing that we hear in heaven as we praise God. So I want to encourage you to do just that today, to sing with me. And let's lift our voices from hearts transformed. If your soul, if your life has been purchased by the blood of Christ, you are the saint and we are the church and we have a, a reason to sing. Amen? Let's sing.
2: Joy to the world, Lord.
0: Give him praise, church. We love you guys. Have a great week.
2: with the just